right, it's morning huddle time. Good morning. Sure. Go. I'm not saying it works. I wish you Godspeed. Godspeed with all of that. I think that's really, really nice. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what kind of success you're going to have with that today because the world, my friend, has changed. Right. Latin American construction workers, they have different needs. They have completely different These needs. These awards have a huge... Um, like criteria that you have to fill out and they usually have a community service or community relations portion. Makes them, uh, you know, the most productive uh, with a high performance value. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Funny. Isn't it? Yeah, I, not, not for me. Not for uh, me. At 11 o'clock, I am guaranteed to be snoring. So, so, um, <laughs> Morning huddle time. Welcome, welcome. Chad Prinky here, as always, with my co-host and producer, Stacey Holzinger. Stacey, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, we're thrilled this morning to have uh, Aniban Basu with us for round two. I actually, this morning, was checking it out. Uh, you joined us in December of 21 uh, for an outlook on 2022. And here we are. It's about you know 14, 15 months after that and we're going to be talking about 23 and and more but uh thank you so much for for joining us this morning Aniban. it's it's great to have you stacy chad pleasure to be with you today yeah it's great so uh, i i uh was leading into this episode kind of reflecting on uh, the fact that so many of the people i talk to tell me i grab my morning coffee i sit down and i watch the huddle and i recently was just made fun of pretty relentlessly because I love coffee, but I'm a decaf only person. <laughs> and, and I, and so I wondered, I, I was like, you know, I, I caught a lot of flack for that. I wondered if I'm alone on this or what everybody's relationship with caffeine is. Well, I'm surprised you're decaf because you got a lot of energy. <laughs> well, that's why. Stacy, could you imagine this caffeinated? No. It'd be a mess. Stacy, <laughs> what's your relationship with caffeine? It's a bad one. And it's, <laughs> it started in a college. So sugar-free Red Bull, shout out to college and my best friend, Rachel, who got me hooked on it. Nice, Rach. <laughs> well, I think what your question, you, Chad, yeah, I think your question, Chad, was, are you alone? And I think you are. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, I have a very close, loving, nurturing relationship with caffeine. Uh, it gives me so much. I must say it's not a symbiotic relationship. In other words, caffeine gives me so much. I give nothing back to caffeine. It is a parasitic relationship, but it's a positive one nonetheless. And, um, and it's like drinking alcohol-free beer. I don't understand the point. So, so I get a buzz from decaf. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's, I, it, it, I think it's a placebo. <laughs> yes. It's mental. You're me Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, it's mental. I'm mental. It, it could be. Yep. I think that's fair. That's a fair. That's a fair statement. All right. We have much to talk about as we take a look at the uh, economy in 23, uh, the impacts that that is going to have on the construct that it's currently having on the construction industry and what we what we think might be coming uh, in in the uh, in the near future. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot of questions from our audience. Stacy, I'm going to leave you to uh, getting the, the the audience questions organized for us. Uh, and we'll bring you back here with about ten, five, 10 minutes left. Uh, and, and we'll, and we'll hear from the audience. Good. Right. Good. See you soon. All right. So, uh, Aniban, one of the things that I, um, am, am, I'm going to cut right to the heart of the hottest topic, I think, um, 
uh, economy wide. If, if there's two topics, it's inflation and it's interest rates. I want to start with interest rates and I want to talk about the impact of interest rates on the, the uh, developer driven construction industry. What is it doing today and what is it likely to do? Well, it's softening developer-driven construction. I mean, when you talk to developers, and we both talk to a lot of developers, they'll tell you that their performers have to pencil out. And as much as their performers have been damaged by higher wages, the higher cost of living construction services generally, materials prices, which are up another 5% over the past year, concrete prices up 15%, it's really the higher cost of capital that's weighing heavily upon their performance. Uh, that on top of some behavioral changes rendered by the pandemic. So we can see that last year, despite the fact that the U.S. economy grew 2.1% and we added a ton of jobs, um, the office vacancy rate nationally actually rose. The hotel occupancy rate nationally is not back to where it had been in 2019. The shopping mall vacancy rate continues to rise. And so this really damages prospects for commercial construction on top of those interest rate increases. So you put it all together and some of these construction segments tend to be quite weak and already are. Yeah. Um, so if you're a developer right now, you are checking by the minute to see whether your deals pencil. And if they don't, um, these are deals that are being put on the shelf. These are deals that are being um, you know, reworked and delayed. What, one of the things that I see a lot of is um, the developers continuing to go back to their contractor partners for repricing exercises. What, what, what are you seeing uh, construction costs doing? Are, are, they, are construction costs finally coming down to level out that, um, you know, rise in interest rates and, and help the developers to get their deal done or what's happening there? You know, Chad, projects can be value engineered, of course, to bring down costs. But on a per unit basis, I don't observe the cost of delivering construction services falling. Why should they be? It's not that most materials are getting cheaper. As I say, in the aggregate inputs to construction rose 4.9% over the past year, concrete prices up significantly other prices. Now, it's true. We got some relief on oil and steel prices last year. We received some relief on natural gas prices. And so some of these input costs are not as high. But overall... Inputs are more expensive, and certainly human capital workers are more expensive. Uh, and so, you know, there are 413,000 available unfilled construction jobs in this country, 11 million available unfilled con uh, jobs overall in this country. Uh, we have a 3.4% rate of unemployment, which oddly enough is actually below where it was a year ago when the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates to slow the economy down. Uh, we have overall inflation quite high still. And so, what can I tell you? I mean, I think that the financing environment is deteriorated. Uh, people talk about, well, financing conditions have loosened recently. Well, that's true. I mean, lenders are more willing to make capital available, but the problem is only at higher interest rates. And so, again, that pro forma has to pencil out. And in many cases, that's not the case, especially in slow growth environments. We're from Baltimore, for instance. The same pro forma for a hotel project or office project or shopping center project might pencil out in Dallas, St. Petersburg, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, Austin, Texas. So, you know, one of the other things that you see is that more capital is moving to the south or those rapidly growing markets generally because, well, I mean, that's where support for higher rents continues to be. So let's let's stay on that thread for a minute in 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 sort of the markets that we uh, can see what what are the causes for optimism? Where 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 are we seeing construction demand and construction um, uh, 
you know, follow through on these deals uh, to be extremely high. If it's not in the office segment, where is it? And if it, it you know, may, maybe uh, geographically, where is it and why? Yeah, it's interesting. I was speaking to a construction firm uh, leader the other day and they said, look, we're not that busy doing office projects, hotels and so on and so forth and shopping centers, but we're busy doing everything else. We're busy doing data centers or something they would call mission critical. They're busy doing hospital expansions as a general contractor. And of course, we know that lots of infrastructure contractors, those that specialize in uh, public works, are set to be busy for the next five to seven years. So water and sewer, roads, bridges, that kind of thing. So it really depends upon the segment. And then Chad, and we've talked about this before, at least one-on-one, -on -one, this is the era of the mega project. Now, some of those mega projects are infrastructure projects, whether you know raising a tunnel in Baltimore, whatever it happens to be. But some of them are privately financed, you know, semicon uh, semiconductor manufacturing, chip manufacturing, for instance, about $200 billion of that kind of project under development in this country, Columbus, Ohio, upstate New York, near Syracuse, Chandler, Arizona, several markets in Texas, so on and so forth. And so in those communities, there will not be much construction capacity going forward as these mega projects break ground. Some of them already have, as it turns out, because these projects are huge, multi-billion dollar projects. Same thing with battery factories. You know, $40 billion of those under development, Michigan, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, and so in some markets, you're going to see a lot of softness in construction going forward because these higher interest rates. In other markets, because the country is transforming itself. We now have industrial policy in America again, where government is saying we want certain industries here, steel, aluminum manufacturing, computer chips, batteries, so on and so forth, alternative energy. And so that translates to a lot of large-scale construction projects, that process of transforming the built environment. And so some contractors stand to be busy for many years, even with these higher costs of capital. And it's really exciting to think about the com you know the country reinventing itself. I love that, and 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 the the picture that starts to come to mind, and you know maybe hover cars eventually. No, I'm joking. But but you know, but but what I but what I imagine uh, being a uh, a possible trend with the era of the mega project is maybe the era of the mega contractor and what what that means in terms of where the workforce goes, what that means in terms of the opportunities. Like there, I'll put it this way, there, there aren't um, a bevy of qualified contractors to build a $2 billion micro mi microchip factory. There just aren't. So, um, it, and, and there, and if that project is going on times 12, times 20 across the United States in, in versions just like it, what does that mean for the small to mid-sized contractor, which makes up the vast majority of the market? And you know, what would you be thinking if you were in one of those markets that you know maybe wasn't being graced with a mega project right now? I'm thinking about consolidation, Chad. You know, because you know, heretofore, what we, what have we seen in construction? Everyone's busy. Almost everyone has backlog right, doing what it is they do in whatever region of the country, right? The problem for most contractors is can't find human capital, right? can't have, find enough workers, can't expand to meet the demand, but the economy is changing. You know, one of the things I do is I'm the chief economist for associate builders and contractors. We survey our members with respect to their backlog. Backlog is no longer rising. It's not falling significantly, but it's not rising. But I think the portents are suggesting that we might start to see backlog fall during the months ahead because of the weight of these higher interest rates. 
And so some contractors are going to find maybe in 2024 or 2025, they're not that busy. At the same time, you're going to have another set of contractors that's wildly busy, just can't get, get enough people to do the jobs. Again, whether it's in Texas or Arizona or uh, you know Boise, Idaho or upstate New York, where they're manufacturing these mega projects, uh, constructing these mega projects, I should say that that's um, that's where the strain is going to be. And so you can imagine, Chad, if you've got one group that's too busy and needs more human capital, another group that's less busy and less certain about the future with shrinking backlog, you might see some appetite for mergers and acquisitions, right? Because then you have more control of human capital under one umbrella to say, hey, I need folks in Chandler, Arizona. I'm bu building out this you know, big manufacturing facility for the semiconductor, semiconductor industry. And so that's... Um, I think that's where we might be headed during the years ahead. Now, it's a strange thing to say, Chad, because usually when interest rates go up, that's bad for mergers and acquisitions. These deals are often financed, right? I'm, right. I'm acquiring another company. I'm financing that acquisition. So higher interest rates frustrate that acquisition. But right now, because there's such an appetite for human capital and for scale economies and construction, I think that's exactly what you're going to see. Yeah, that's interesting. It's uh, more, more mergers and acquisitions, strength in numbers, people people um, pulling together, large companies pulling together and saying, let's pull resources and, and let's let's find a way to partner. Um, and and then also maybe smaller companies who are reading the tea leaves. Hopefully they're reading the tea leaves and, and they're not struck with you know massive downsizing because that's a fire sale. Um, but, you know, who who are seeing an opportunity here with um uh, interested buyers to potentially part ways with their business. I think combine that with the fact that that we're in the midst of, um, you know, a, a, a baby boomer exit. I think that is has is were, is well underway and is going to be uh, happening. I think for the next 10, 12 years, that th that combination of things, you know, sort of spells to me. Uh, lots and lots and lots of exits in the in the upcoming years uh, from contractors. So uh, that's it sounds like percent economic conditions agree. That's 100%, Chad, that you've got a lot of these construction firm owners in the late 50s into their 60s. They shepherded their firms through the pandemic. Lots of headaches, of course, even if they're busy just trying to deliver construction services under those circumstances. Uh, and now they're burned out. And, you know, it is a sort of a cultural phenomenon that younger generations have showed less interest in construction than older generations have, you know. And so the family members might not be willing to take over the company. And now that company is either going to be retired or sold. And what I'm saying is that for those companies that are looking to exit and who have amassed significant human capital, whether an HVAC or whatever it happens to be, there's going to be demand for that, those companies. And so yeah. one thing that those folks might want to do is some folks who might have thought, you know what? No one's going to buy this company. No one's going to buy this company. Now the market has changed. Somebody might buy that company. So one of the things that one might think about doing in some cases is to prepare the firm for sale. One might have been a skeptic that they could sell their firm once upon a time. But now there's a real opportunity out there if, again, you have the right resumes on the team. Yeah, it's when it comes to preparing your firm for scale, there are so many, I'm sorry, for sale, there are so many considerations. Chief among them is uh, how do I make sure that that this very, very, very small group of key executives aren't um, the only things that really the business has? Because it, you know, during sale, um, that's a group that's high risk and uh, and oftentimes parts ways and, and will 
will kill your valuation uh, when when you know you you start getting evaluated. So or, all right, but uh, this is I, I love the I love the thought process here of um, consolidation economically speaking. When we consolidate, what are our gains and what are our losses? Just as, as we start to picture what the what the landscape of the of the construction industry might look like. Uh, as we consolidate, what do we see as our gains and what and what do we lose? Yeah, look, the starting point matters. So what do I mean by that? So the gains and losses from consolidation differ by industry because industry structure differs. So if I tell you that JetBlue wants to acquire Spirit Airlines, which of course it does, um, that's different when you've got a highly concentrated airline industry with only four major players controlling 80% of the markets. Then in construction, which is highly fragmented, almost no one has any meaningful market share. And so what consolidation gives you is almost pure benefit in terms of productivity growth and economies of scale. Because one of the reasons that construction is not generating more productivity growth compared to, let's say, retail and manufacturing is a lack of economies of scale. So in manufacturing, you've got Boeing and Intel and you know, 3M and many other giants you know, Cargill, just gigantic firms, Procter & Gamble, that generate economies of scale. You have nothing like that in construction. Uh, and sometimes bigger is not better, but in construction, it is the case that sometimes small can be deeply inefficient, small and fragmented. And so uh, I think consolidation ultimately is part of the productivity growth story in construction as is prefabrication, modularization, which, by the way, is also susceptible to scale economies. But um, I think that's, you know, ultimately, I think consolidation is pretty good for the industry. So I, I, I would tend to agree. I think, I think you know, if, if, you're an aud- if you're listening or watching this show right now, you, I, I think, should be asking yourself about your own construction business. Are we, should we be eyeing a path to exit or should we be gearing up to compete at a higher level? Because... I, I do believe that as consolidation occurs, the quality and capability and efficiency and execution is should rise. It should um, theoretically, it should it should rise. So um, you know that's a key decision that you need to be making in, in your construction business. Do I want to get big or do I want to start to find my path out? <laughs> you know, not necessarily get big, but more sophisticated, more more uh, you know technologically advanced, um, you know, and, and all those types of things, because I do think there's going to be a, I mean, we've talked about this before. Talk about the widening gap that we see, you know, potentially coming in terms of capabilities of these firms. It's about balance sheet, Chad, right? So, I mean, when I talk about economies of scale, it's not simply an academic discussion. Larger firms have bigger balance sheets, more financing capacity to buy equipment, to provide trading to employees, Right. And so as a result, you've got those economies of scale because now you can purchase the latest equipment. You can generate as much productivity from that new equipment through training as is conceivable, where a smaller contractor may simply not have the wherewithal to install the latest equipment at any given moment and to train their workforce on that equipment. They just their balance sheet won't support it. Right. They'll yeah. go deeply into debt. So uh, that's that's one of the reasons the consolidation is so effective. It's because of the balance sheet consolidation. You know, you've got two strong firms that come together. Now you've got a really strong firm that has just much more capability. Uh, and so one of the things I could imagine is that some smaller firms will fall increasingly behind because they will not be able to institute the latest technologies or productivity enhancing mechanisms. And larger firms will be able to do that. And so the bifurcation uh, across firm performance will widen.
and there and there are lot there there is I can speak with you know, personal uh, from personal experience. There's a lot of industry, or I'm sorry, a lot of interest from the uh, 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 private equity community in helping to bridge that gap, either in uh, complete sale or in partial sales, uh, where cash infusions are giving contractors who are looking to take a giant leap forward. Uh, they're they're providing them the opportunity to do that. So there are lots of different strategies to consider here. But as you look at the the long-term outlook, I, I think that's um, something that we we absolutely, every contractor should be um, putting into their strategic plan. Do they want to be around 10 years from now? And if they do, uh, if they don't, that's okay. Selling is a great idea. But if they if they if they do want to be around, what's that actually going to entail? So 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 shifting back to the 2023 environment, we, we talked about developer driven business being shaky. I want to specifically get into multifamily. Is that still the case in multifamily? Is is multifamily shaky? Because all that business for I mean for I, I can't, I'm I'm struggling to even think of multifamily that's not you know developer driven. All that business is 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 essentially developer driven. Um, but I still seem to see a lot of projects coming out of the ground and a lot of, uh, new design proposals, uh, hitting the streets. The AIA stats continue to say that that's uh, relatively busy. How do we explain that? I think we explain that by suggesting that we have a certain number of households in this country. They're looking for housing. All things be equal, higher mortgage rates are good for the multifamily, meaning the apartment rental market. Not so much for the condominium market, by the way, but for the apartment rental market, higher mortgage rates are good, all things be equal, because if I can't purchase a home, I, you know, many younger buyers, millennial buyers, for instance, could not afford a home at 3% 30-year fixed mortgage rate. When it's now at 6.7%, they certainly cannot afford it. Right. Uh, and so what do they end up doing? They end up leasing, which drives up apartment occupancy. Uh, and uh, and you know sustains support for growth in rents, and indeed the growth in rent has been one of the more stubborn aspects of inflation presently. So, um, but right. yeah, so the multifamily segment should hold up reasonably well. Chad. Now I will say this: one of the things I have heard, I've only heard the only anecdotal information here, is that some large money center banks are becoming a little bit more conservative in their lending to real estate generally, whether commercial real estate or multifamily, because they don't want to be so exposed to real estate if in fact we head for a recession. The mother's milk of leasing is job creation. We added 517,000 jobs in January. The unemployment rate is 3.4 percentage points. We have 2.7 million more jobs now in America than we did pre-pandemic, and we've got 11 million available unfilled jobs. So labor market has been very strong, which helps support the apartment market. But at some point, if we enter a recession, all of a sudden, what happens? Leasing slows down. People start room sharing, you know, or having roommates, that kind of thing. There's less support for rents. And all of a sudden, the development environment becomes more choppy, particularly, as I say, if these large money center banks become even more scared about prospects for failure among some of these multifamily projects. So in any case, um, right now, the market's very strong, I would say, in multifamily, even in Baltimore a pretty slow growth market, Philadelphia, so on and so forth. I see lots of new apartment projects being proposed yep, same. and going to design you know, authorities and so on and so forth to get approval for their designs uh, or zoning. But um, at some point, I think you will see a weaker multifamily market. Yeah, the music's going to stop at some point. But, but the, layer in, layer in the, the um, you know, HUD funding into affordable housing projects, and that's making that... that, that there's there's continues to be 
I think, reason for optimism if you are into building wood frame projects in, in uh, I don't want to say every market. I'm not qualified to say that, but I, I would say certainly in the markets here in the, in the mid-Atlantic that I am aware of. Uh, there can, there's continued reason for optimism if, if you if you're a contractor building wood frame stuff in the in the near future. Um, you know, so, something that you just said really struck me, which was uh, obviously there's this. This is my takeaway. It's not what you said, <laughs> but but uh, uh, there's obviously been this effort to raise interest rates to cool the economy, and in some ways there are aspects of the economy that are cooling, but there in in other ways. Uh, the machine continues to keep rolling. And and I've been of this mentality that like, hey, we, we do kind of want things to slow down. It's generally the goal to cool in inflation, to have things slow down. That was the goal of raising rates. But what I didn't necessarily see was this connection between um, uh, rising uh, rents as a result of slower single family uh, growth actually being this unintended consequence. It's, it's the, I mean, in general, this is a big one. Sorry. I didn't prepare you for this, but the hand of government in these types of scenarios, you know, manipulating the market has all kinds of unintended consequences overall, good or bad that we're raising interest rates. It's unfortunately necessary. I think the inflation is very damaging. People ask me, well, why is that? Why can't you just keep the economy going and growing strong and so on and so forth? One of the reasons, Chad, and there are a number of them, but one of the reasons is because inflation really wallops the lowest quintiles of income. Right? They're the ones who are really hit hard when rents go up, when egg prices are higher, right. which they, of course, have been, when you know whatever prices are rising, they're the ones, because especially food and energy prices, right? the electricity bill, those kinds of things. Uh, and so the Federal Reserve missed it in 2021. So this burst of inflation manifests itself during the spring of 2021. And their initial response was, it's transitory. It's supply chain issues. We don't have to worry about it. It's temporary. It's fleeting. And they said that from roughly you know, March uh, of 2021 through November of 2021. So for about eight months, it's transitory, it's transitory. No, because at some point it became built to people's expectations. The economy remained overheated. They kept stimulating into this inflationary cycle. And then in 2022, they wake up and say, oh, my goodness, we have a problem on our hands. And they start raising interest rates in March and haven't stopped since. And more rate increases are in front of us. So they got behind the, the ball and now they're having to try to catch up. And it's well, it's good. At some point, I think it translates into recession later this year in 2024. Uh, and at some point that really catches up to construction, of course. But Right now, as I say, the unemployment rate is 3.4%. We're adding tons of jobs, and this economy remains overheated. Now, we'll get a jobs report on Friday, as it turns out. We'll see what that looks like. But uh, heretofore, I think the Federal Reserve has been frustrated by its inability to snuff out excess inflation. Uh, one quick question. 3.4% unemployment. Are we overemployed? Do we actually want that to be lower? Oh, no, we're over. It's, it's an interesting thing, uh, Chad. You know, I grew up in Kankakee County, Illinois, where the unemployment rate in the early 1980s was above 20 percent. As companies like Roper and other manufacturers left town, there was a big center for appliance manufacturing, as it turns out. But that disappears. It goes offshore in the 70s into the early 1980s. So when I was growing up, my notion was we need more jobs. We need more jobs. That's that's always the situation. We need more jobs. And that's why I brought into my profession as an economist. Here we are in 2023, 
And all of a sudden, the problem is we don't have enough workers. We've right. got too we many jobs workers. chasing too few. We need more workers. You know, yeah. legal immigration has slowed. Obviously, labor force participation has not grown, especially among men in recent decades. Uh, and then, of course, you know, culturally, you know, we have tended not to head for the skilled trades. I just saw, as it turns out, a fabulous uh, documentary produced by 3M on young people entering the skilled trades and their stories. Fantastic. But we don't have enough young people entering the skilled trades. And so it's deeply frustrating. And guess what you get? You get a shortage of workers, particularly yeah. in the skilled trades, and that drives up costs. My gosh. There's, I mean, I, and this is why, I mean, it's a, it's a really dangerous thing for you and I to talk um, because I've got another hundred questions and we're very close to out of time. I want to bring um, Stacy into the, the conversation here uh, to channel some uh, questions from our audience. Stacey, um, uh, what questions do we have? Sure. <clears throat> Mark Jury said, in these mergers and acquisitions, do you see strong contractors, GC and both specialty acquiring design firms, architects, engineers, to increase their design build capacity and process control? Great question. It's a great question. I, and I think we've seen that for years, as it turns out. We've seen more integration between general contractors and designers, architectural and engineering firms. I think you'll continue to see that. Again, that's part of the economies of scale and scope story we're talking about here, building in sort of control and command of scarce human capital, but also maybe streamlining the construction delivery process. And the owner says, well, look, now I can contract with one firm, right? I just have, I contract with this general contractor. They'll do the design, they'll do the construction, all those kinds of things. One contract and they're on the hook for all of it. I love it as an owner and probably also yields productivity benefits for the supply side of the industry. So will those mergers lead to increased manufacturing, multi-trade, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that that's one of the ways to generate these economies of scale, these efficiencies, is to do more construction using more construction using a manufacturing model. Uh, because manufacturing is susceptible to all kinds of economies of scale. Why do we have so much fragmentation of construction? It's because we do construction community by community by community, right? So you got a Baltimore construction industry, you got a Portland, Oregon construction industry, you got Dallas, you got Fort Worth, so on and so forth. But it, with respect to manufacturing, you could be serving a global construction market. You could feel enormous scale and therefore enormous efficiencies, but you've got to transition, at least in part, from that construction model, that on-the-job site model of delivery construction services, to a central hub manufacturing spoke. Uh, and uh, you know that that process is going on, but it's quite going on quite slowly. Modularization is not taken off the way I would have expected from the perspective of several years ago. Uh, nice. So Mike Windsor also chimed in and he said 7 million young men of working age are camped out in their parents' basement, so to speak. In your opinion, how do we get re-engagement of the, those folks? You got to ban <laughs> video games, can't smoke marijuana, maybe have to pay your own bills, right? There's a cultural aspect to this, but you know, we have a crisis of young maledom in America. I mean, look at the layer for participation rate. For American men ages 25 to 34, between 1980 and 2023, you'll be shocked. Women during those years jumped into the workforce, as it turns out. The labor force participation rate for women skyrocketed during that period, also for 35 to 44-year-olds. We've got a lot of 35 to 44-year-old men out there who are, not, who are neither working nor looking for work, right? They're on a couch. They're probably watching Sports Center. That's my guess for the second or third time. You know, trying to figure out what it means that David, you know, David Carr is going to a new team. What does it mean for the Saints? And who cares? Who cares about the NFC? 
So, you know, they need to be doing a job. They need to be working. And, um, and, and they're not. And it's frustrating because it limits our country's potential to produce, to be geopolitically influential, that kind of thing, right? And to rebuild ourselves. We're trying to rebuild our industrial base. We're trying to rebuild our infrastructure. Let's get to it. But you need people to do that. We don't have enough. Yeah, I think I think we're they're lacking motivation, uh, uh, external motivation. I lo I love your comment about having to pay their own bills. I think it's it, it all these all these young all these young men who are laying on the couches in basements. Um, you know, uh, I gotta I gotta look at the parents. <laughs> I gotta look at the parents who are allowing that. Anyway, sorry, you're right. There's a there's a cultural aspect of it. You do an awesome job of not getting sucked into that. I do a less good job of it. Stacy, what else? <laughs> So uh, one of your recent e-newsletters, you had mentioned, despite the worst inflation in four decades, um, consumers appear to be in good financial health, at least for now. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, the consumer has been the glue that sells this economy together. Retail sales have actually been astonishing, even as consumers have switched from purchasing goods to moving towards services like, you know, taking flights and that kind of thing, or staying in hotel rooms, um, you know, the consumer outlays have been phenomenal. Uh, however, uh, the U.S. savings rate has tended to trend lower over time, not in the last couple of months, but over a longer period of time. And more and more Americans are taking on credit card debt to finance their lifestyle. We are starting to see some more delinquencies in the subprime auto loan market. Uh, in some other, uh, you know, sort of niche markets, we're seeing some more delinquencies. So more consumers are coming under pressure. The glue that holds the consumer together, of course, is this very strong job market. But if I'm right that the labor market is going to slow, we've seen a lot of layoffs announced since mid last year, largely in technology and finance and retail. But nonetheless, I think you're going to see more of that going forward. Eventually, the labor market data start to weaken and even more consumers find their way into delinquency. And that's, I think, part of the recessionary story for later this year or 2024. Uh, but so far, I have to admit, the consumer has been much stronger than I would have anticipated. Yeah. And 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 the the consumer really, uh, we were saying just before the show started, the, the whole economy revolves around the consumer, it, the whole thing. And, and con the construction economy, I don't care what you're building, at the end of the day, it revolves around the consumer, whether it's hospitals or fire stations or or so on and so forth, you know, everything at the end of the day revolves around that. So consumer health is critically important. And obviously um, what you're saying is maybe a couple, you know, the subprime auto loans, maybe a bellwether um, of of some of the cracks in the armor uh, with with uh, with consumer spending. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a, you, you cannot have a recession without the consumer willingly participating, right? Because they're, you know, statistically, GDP perspective, they're two thirds of aggregate demand. But, you know, as we were talking before we got on, they're really 100%. People say, oh, no, 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 you've got, you know, it, when government spends at BWI, let's say the state of Maryland spends to invest at BWI airport, which of course it is right now, that's government spending, that's not the consumer, but who's being served? It's the consumer who's gonna travel in and out of BWI. We say, no, 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 but what about the business traveler? Let's say the, the person that flies in from Cincinnati who works for Procter & Gamble, that's business travel, right? Yeah, but who does Procter & Gamble serve? They serve the consumer, right? They sell in tissue paper and other kinds of things. So it's all about the consumer. Uh, and right now, the consumer has been strong. It's a strong equilibrium for them. Strong job market, strong consumer spending. But as I say, the Federal Reserve is working right now to raise unemployment by raising interest rates and loading on the economy. At some point, the consumer finds the job market is weakening. More people are laid off. 
And now their spending power is not what it used to be. And they've taken lots of debt to finance their lifestyle in recent months. And so that's sort of the story that's unfolding. And, and that, that takes some time to trickle into the construction market, but it, it inevitably uh, trickles into to impacts in the construction industry. So I, um, <clears throat> uh, Stacey, anything else? Uh, while we, any other questions that we need to uh, channel uh, Anibon's way while we have them? Um, you can, I think we're good, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so I, I want to, I want to put forth just kind of a quick summary and have you weigh in uh, for for our audience uh, whether I've got this. So, so if if I'm if I'm watching or listening to this, I'm coming away from this uh, with a couple of different thoughts. Number one, prepare for consolidation, and what that means in this industry is either growth and reinvestment in your business or potentially taking on investors or or collaborating with other you know strategically aligned companies um, to you know be be viable in a more consolidated industry environment that is um, raising the bar on standards or start preparing your business for sale I'll check in with you on that. Does that sound like reasonable advice? I think that's exactly right. That we're about to enter an era of significant horizontal and vertical integration. Horizontal means one construction firm acquires another. Vertical means that a construction firm acquires an architectural or engineering firm or both or so on and so forth. But the, pro, you know, the, the point is lots of consolidation and lots of, as you pointed out, exits. Because a lot of these owners are getting older towards the end of their career and they're looking for exits. And many of them will exit successfully. And that's very yeah. good news because there's such appetite for capacity to deliver construction services. Excellent. All right, good. Number two would be prepare for recession. And that's not this, you know, that's not like the panic call of prepare. It's, it's coming. The wave is coming, but it's maybe more make hay while the sun is shining. And it is shining. There are lots of different market sectors in which the sun is very, very, very much shining and will continue to shine. Make hay while the sun is shining, but maybe put it in the barn, right? Maybe, maybe uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, take it straight to market and, and right? you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe put it in the barn. Does that sound like good advice as well? I think so. I mean, look, there's, and also the other thing is to focus on segments that will continue to be strong under these current economic circumstances. So we've talked about infrastructure, of course, but healthcare, data centers, warehouse space. So there are certain segments that's, you know, probably because of secular changes in the economy, e-commerce, an aging population stay strong despite a, a, a negative cycle in the economy. So that's what, but that's right. So you, you might remember before the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, that a lot of home builders were making record profits for a number of years. Yeah. And many of those owners then turned around and bought, you know, $1.5 million palaces in Florida. And then they took money out of the business because the business was going so well. What was the problem? And when that downturn occurred, they needed that money back in the business that house in Florida wasn't worth what it used to be when they bought it in 05 or 06. And guess what? They failed. And we saw yeah. so many home builders fail during that period because they took out money exactly precisely before the downturn. So yeah. I don't think it's going to be a, an 08, 09 kind of scenario, by the way. But nonetheless, I think it makes sense to stockpile more cash for the next couple of years. I love it. That's great. And that, that brings me to the third one. And you just hit on it. So I won't expand beyond just saying, 
focusing on those segments where the economy is likely to stay strong. Evaluate inside your construction firm where you have the, the capability to, to break from your traditional or typical um, uh, mix of business and consider getting more diversified and spreading out into um, sectors that are, are projected to grow. And so along those lines, I want to make sure that I've been having the scroll on the bottom of the screen, but I want to make sure that I really emphasize this uh, point. You have a fantastic newsletter that comes out weekly and sometimes more than weekly uh, and that provides the, the you know, any reader with uh, fantastic insights into what is happening in, in, the, in the broader economy. And it would behoove uh, our audience to uh, sign up for that newsletter and to start really practicing the art of looking at bigger picture economic trends and thinking about how that will ultimately, eventually, even if it's years down the line, begin to affect the construction industry. Because if you're in a position to uh, be right there when 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 something start you know initially starts, I won't name any company names, but I I know some companies that were right on the front side of data centers, and I, it it was like being in Bitcoin when it when it exploded. You know, what I mean? it was just it, it it just turned into an immense amount of wealth for the people who were there. What's going to be the next data center market? What's going to be the and and so sign up for this newsletter. Uh, plug into that and uh, and obviously reach out to Anibon, uh, you know, uh, through his company, Sage Policy Group, uh, anytime. I'm sure he and his team would be happy uh, to assist you with a, a custom research project to figure out what the right direction is for your company. I enjoy working with you in that uh, capacity, and I hope that uh, other people will take advantage of that. So thank you, thank Chad. You. Very kind. Thanks for having me on this morning. Thank you for being here. It's been awesome. Stacy, uh, anything with uh, anything for Anibon before we let him go? Uh, check out his Monday morning optimism new uh, section. That's a great that's a great read too. We there need good is. news. We do need good news. Yeah, they call us <laughs> economists the dismal science uh, or scientists. And um, yes, we could be pretty dreary, I know. But if you go to www.sagecon.com, every Monday morning, we have a piece that focuses on something good happening in the economy, that something <laughs> is working out for somebody out there. Somebody's uh, so always winning. Somebody's winning. You know, somebody's faring better. And so, so for instance, uh, this, this week, we focus on people with disabilities and how much in demand they are in the labor market, because the labor market is so strong, but also the pervasiveness of remote work has empowered many of them to work when they couldn't work before and work That's really awesome. great jobs, as it turns out. So, I mean, yeah. there are always good things happening out there, despite all the devastation that we see around the world. Uh, we're going to focus on that on Mondays. And then on Fridays, we give a week in review to talk about all the things that went wrong over the past <laughs> week. But nonetheless, you know, we start out strong. We start out strong. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks again. Uh, we look forward to having you back maybe sometime in 2024 uh, to reconnect with what's going on. And I'll, and I'll, I'll play back some of these segments uh, live during that show and check. Nobody cool. ever checks whether the economist advice pans out. We're going to try this out. Uh, <laughs> Chad, if you do that, I will not be back in 2024. <laughs> but anyway, you, your choice. Your all right, call. fine. I won't play anything back. I'll be like, Anibon, you got it right. I don't remember Thank exactly. You. That's all I want to hear. That's right. whatever happens, happens. You're the man. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Uh, Stacy. let's do a little cleanup. Um, uh, so, First things first, uh, we have uh, a, an awesome show planned uh, for next week. We've got um, 
uh, Kevin Hollenbeck, who, who's going to be joining us to talk about integrated project delivery projects. And uh, when we talk about advancements and we talk about efficiency, we talk about doing things different, better uh, to gain a strategic advantage in the, in the construction industry. Integrated project delivery is one of them that has been delivering for quite some time uh, and is still uh, you know, terribly underutilized as an approach to construction. I can't wait to create this space for a discussion about IPD as it's known and, um, and, and, you know, hopefully inspire our audience, uh, to, to spread the word and to start taking the risk of doing projects differently, uh, with integrated project delivery. So join us next week, uh, at the same time for that episode. Uh, and then always, as always, um, email us to be added to our mailing list. That's Stacy H at steeltoe.com, 2ms.com. Uh, and we stream live on LinkedIn, Fa YouTube, and Facebook on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern. But uh, we also have this recorded on YouTube and Apple and Spotify. So be sure to catch up with the show if you can't catch it live. Um, Stacy, anything else that I may have left out? Yeah, two things. So Ariman really spoke about preparing for consolidation. We have a great episode on March 28th with Eric, and he's going to talk about when and how to sell your contracting business. So that might be something that you want to learn about. And then secondly, we will again be at the NAWIC uh, Spring Forum, Forum on May 5th. We're going to do a live um, podcast there around lunchtime between 12 and 2 p.m. So I'm going to post more details about that so you'll know when to check in. But that will be a special around two-hour episode. Awesome. We can't wait. Uh, and uh, and I um, will be uh, speaking at that event on the Saturday about driving change from within your organization. So I hope if you're on the fence about attending, the fact that you'll get a chance to uh, uh, see uh, Stacy in person and um, you know watch the uh, podcast and maybe even be a part of it would be uh, a motivation to join. We we would love to uh, to help that association have a, su a successful event. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Stacy. We'll see you next week. All right. See ya.